Um, but I'll encourage you, if you brought a Bible, um, you're going to need it this morning, and you can turn to John chapter 15. Um, we are uh, cruising through the Gospel of John, and so we're going to look at the first little section of John chapter 15. Now, I really wrestled this week with where exactly to stop in our passage. Um, really, you could do the whole chapter uh, in one sermon because it just all builds on the previous part. But really, um, chapter 15 talks about our relationship with different people. One, this morning, we're going to look at what is our relation to Jesus. Uh, and then next week, so we're going to split chapter 15 into three weeks. Next week is what is our relation to other believers how do you and I as, you know, we're brothers and sisters in Jesus, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, how do I interact with you? What does that look like? And then lastly, how do you and I as believers interact with the world? Um, Jesus spends quite a, a, a good chunk of chapter 15 unpacking what does our relationship to the world look like? So this morning, Jesus is going to use a metaphor that, like I prayed, probably all of us know at least some part of these verses um, he's going to talk about or, or use a, a, a metaphor of a vine and branches, right? Many of you, if you grew up in church, you know that verse, abide in me and I in you. And there's this farming analogy that Jesus is going to use in order to describe our relationship with him. So what I want to do today is just unpack this metaphor like, what exactly is Jesus getting at? Why is he using this metaphor? What does it teach us about our relationship with him? Um, I want to talk about what, it, what does it mean to abide in Jesus, right? Three ways that we abide in Jesus, and then five results of what that abiding looks like. So an eight-point sermon, you're like, oh, gosh, we're going to be here all day. But really, let's unpack the metaphor. What does it actually mean to abide in Jesus? We throw that word around a lot. Yes, you just got to abide in Jesus. Okay, what does that actually mean? And then what are five results of a life lived abiding in Jesus? So to begin, um, let's look at John 15. We'll read the first uh, six verses together. Jesus says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Um, so we've seen already, and if you've read any of the Gospels, you know that Jesus often uses parables or metaphors to try and get his point across, and oftentimes, because he's, he's just brilliant, he uses what everyone in that day and age, in that part of the world, would have immediately connected with, right? He talks about the farmer casting the seed, he talks about this idea of a vine and a branches and a, and a vine dresser. So so that people would go, right, okay, I, I know what you're talking about. Like, I, I really think if Jesus came here personally, he would use, you know, gas-fitting examples or whatever, right? I am the pipeline. You are the whatever. That's a bad example. 
but he uses examples that people would go, oh, right, I'm a farmer. I know what you're talking about, right? I get the, the metaphor, and yet sometimes, and we know that he uses parables, and it leaves people going, okay, I know what a farmer does, but I don't understand how that connects to what you're talking about, Jesus. So Jesus starts by saying the last I am statement in the Gospel of John. He says, I am the true vine. We've seen Right, a whole bunch. I am the door. I am the shepherd. I am the light of the world. I am the true bread from heaven. So now he's making this, this claim to divinity. He's saying the name of God. He says, I am the true vine. Now, if you're like me, you would wa- ask, why did Jesus say he's the true vine? Does that mean there's another vine? What makes him the, the true vine? So here's what's interesting. In the Old Testament, The vineyard and vine analogy was used many, many times to talk about the relationship between God and Israel. And oftentimes Israel, the nation of Israel, was described as the vine. And God was described as um, someone who's planting a vineyard. And so Israel, I mean, we won't won't look at uh, all of the examples because it's all over the place. Isaiah chapter 5, Isaiah chapter 27, a bunch of places in Jeremiah, in Ezekiel. It's this idea of Israel... You were God's choice vine, and he was the vine dresser, and he planted you, and he lavished care and attention on you. But if you read those passages in the Old Testament, what happened? Israel produced rotten fruit over and over and over and over. It was a diseased vine. It wasn't a perfect vine. And so what Jesus is saying, he's saying, I am the true vine. He's saying, I am the true and better Israel. I'm the one that, right, where Israel failed over and over and over and over again, he says, I succeeded. I'm the true vine. So Jesus is, try and keep this in in your mind. Jesus is the vine. Then we're told that the father is the vine dresser. So, or the farmer, if you want to view it that way. The guy that takes care of the vineyard. He's, He's the one that cares for the vine. And we're told how he cares for the vine in a couple of different ways. Verse 2 He says, um, the non-fruit-bearing branches, he takes away or he removes, and the fruit-bearing branches, he prunes so that it bears more fruit. So So Jesus says, God the Father, there's two ways that he cares for this vine, is that he takes away dead things and he prunes living things so that it actually produces more and more and more fruit. And then in verse 5, we're told who we are in the scenario, right? Jesus is the vine. God's the one taking care of the vine. You and I, believers, we're the branches. We're the ones who are connected to the vine. And here's what we're called to do. Verse 4, Jesus says, abide in me. And I in you so meaning this branch can't bear fruit on his own. And if you think about it, even like Jesus is brilliant. What do branches on any kind of fruit tree do? Nothing. They just stay connected to the tree and to the roots and to the whole system. They're, they're not just going, produce more fruit, right? He says, you're the branches. What do you do? Just stay connected to the vine. He'll do everything. Just stay connected, right? In verse 5, Jesus says, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. And then the negative version of that, verse 6, he says, if you don't abide, then you'll be thrown away and burned up. And it's a picture of judgment. It's a picture of, of hell. 
So a couple of questions that we have to ask that necessarily come up. Does this put the pressure on me to maintain and secure my salvation? Right? Jesus says, abide in me. If you don't abide in me, then you're going to be you're going to be taken away. Then you're a dead branch. You're going to be removed. You're going to be thrown into the fire. So naturally, it should make us ask, okay, does that mean that I'm like holding on for dear life and I'm really hoping that I don't get pulled away, right? Can I, or or rather, do I have to be the one that secures my salvation? No. Here's why. I love that Jesus says in verse 3, he says, right, after he says, every branch that's dead, God pulls it away, and if you are bearing fruit, he's going to prune you. But then in verse 3, he says, already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. And if you remember when Jesus washed his disciples' feet, it was a similar thing. He says, you're already washed. And it's, it's fascinating. It's actually a play on words in the original language. In verse 2, the word prune, that God prunes the healthy branches, it's the Greek word katheri. I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, but it means, it means prune and it means cleanse. So what Jesus says is, God the Father, if, if there's a branch that's healthy, he cleanses it so that it bears more fruit. And then in verse 3, he says, but you're already clean. And you go... And that word is a play off of the Greek word for prune. It's katheroi. So do you get what Jesus is doing? Jesus is saying, every branch that bears fruit, you believers, if you're bearing fruit, God is going to come and he's going to cleanse you so that you bear more fruit. But don't worry, you're already clean. You're not the one who's cleansing yourself, meaning you're not the one who's earning your salvation. That's been done. You're already cleansed. But Jesus is going to come, or God the Father is going to come, and he's going to cleanse you so that you bear more fruit. Isn't that amazing? Jesus is assuring us in this passage that your abiding in him is not what saves you. It's not, you don't earn your salvation by abiding in Jesus. He says, you're already clean. Now abide in me. Right? Your acceptance as a believer of being washed and pruned by God is a sign that you've already been washed and pruned. So does this put the pressure on me to maintain and secure my salvation? No, you're already clean. Secondly, when Jesus talks about good branches and bad branches, you know, bad branches are are taken away and they're burned up. Who exactly are those people? Are bad branches Christians who have lost their salvation? Right, somebody who didn't hold on and maintain enough, sorry, you lost it. So we have a few options about what this could mean. Um, It it could mean Jesus is talking about real, true Christians who have accepted the gospel and are saved, and yet they're losing their salvation. That's one option. Some scholars think, well, maybe Jesus is talking about Christians losing just rewards in heaven, right? You don't bear fruit. You're not abiding. You're still saved, but you're going to just lose your rewards. But that's kind of an impossible scenario because the the passage is clearly talking about final judgment or rather it could be well is jesus talking about professing christians who were actually never saved so i don't think it's talking about christians losing rewards in heaven the language that jesus uses doesn't allow us to go there 
And I don't think it can be genuine Christians losing salvation because think about everything else that Jesus said throughout the Gospel of John. Right? Jesus said, I will not lose any of my sheep. So it, it can't be sheep that are being lost because Jesus promised us, if you're one of my sheep, you'll never be lost. He says, right? They're in the palm of my hand. I don't lose any of them. So I believe that these dead branches are people that profess Christianity, but have never actually bowed the knee to Jesus and understood the gospel. And you go, well, Andrew, how can that be? I mean, we just saw it happen. Judas fooled everybody for three and a half years, right? Did Judas love Jesus? No, not at all. For three and a half years, he fooled everybody. Even so, like when he got up and left, everyone was still wondering, well, who could be the one that's going to betray Jesus? Like he had them fooled. And so he profet he was with the disciples, and yet he was never one of them. And actually, 1 John 2.19 says a similar thing, talking about, uh, about supposed believers, right? They went out from us, right? They, they quote-unquote abandoned the faith, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. It's very similar to the parable of the wheat and the weeds. God allows weeds, unbelievers, to grow with the wheat together. And, and he says, and at the end, then I'll sort it out. So God takes away the dead branches. What he's doing in this metaphor is that he's removing people who maybe have professed, sure, yeah, I'm a Christian. And yet, their lives prove that they actually aren't. If you could lose your salvation, you would. That's how broken and sinful we are. Like, if you and I were actually, if it was possible for us to lose our salvation, we would. But something that you have gained by grace, you cannot lose by works. So, continuing on, there's the metaphor, right? Jesus is the vine, you and I are the branches, God is the one taking care of the whole plant. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Woo, sounds good. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that, your, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So, I mean, a couple of things. Verse 7 is amazing. If you abide in Jesus, Jesus says, ask for whatever you want and it will be done. So, we're going to come back to that. Put a pin in that because that's a big, Really? Jesus, you really mean that? We're going to come back to that. And then in verse 8, he says, in this, in what? In us abiding in Jesus and asking Jesus, right, praying to Jesus for different things, God the Father is glorified as we bear fruit through abiding in Jesus. And so we prove to be Jesus' disciples, right? How do we know? What's a, we talked about this last week. What's a good barometer? Am I a disciple of Jesus? Well, are you bearing fruit? That's how, that's how we know, right? If it's a dead branch that bears no fruit, well, we got to get rid of it. That's what Jesus says. Verse 9, the same love that 
God the Father has for Jesus, Jesus loves us with that same love. Abide in that love. And Jesus tells us how. How do I abide in his love? Keep his commandments. Very similar to last week. And lastly, verse 11, why did Jesus say these things to his disciples? To heap up burdens on them? To go, hey, you better abide. No, why did he tell us this? So that your, his joy would be in us and that you and I, that our joy would be complete and full. That's why he teaches us. So our, our first question, what does it actually mean to abide in Jesus? And I, I want to get to actual practical things because I think sometimes we think in this, you know, metaphysical feeling type thing. And what does it mean to abide in Jesus? Well, it's just a feeling that you have, which sure, there's feelings connected to it, but that's not, that's not what it means to abide in Jesus, right? I heard someone say, it's not like the liver quiver where you go, ooh, I feel like I'm abiding in Jesus. No, 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 go beyond that. What does Jesus actually say is abiding in him? Because he tells us in our passage now, it's interesting. The word abide is, uh, in Greek, it literally just means to remain, stay put, stay where you are, right? So if you think about if, you're, uh, if you have kids and you've ever told them, stay right here. That's what the word means. Abide, children. <laughs> Don't move. Um, and really, what it, what it brings up is the idea of, hey, Jesus wants you to maintain a relationship that already exists. One scholar I read said you could translate it, don't change a thing, don't, don't move, don't change anything, stay right where you are with Jesus. Like verse four when Jesus says, abide in me and I in you, you could translate it, safeguard your relationship with me so that I continue to abide fully in you. So what does that mean? How do, how do we abide, remain, stay in Jesus? Um, three ways. Firstly, abiding in Jesus means receiving and believing all that Christ has done for you. So abiding in Jesus, right? Jesus says, stay put, stay right here, don't move, abide, remain in me. What it means is continue to look at the life, death, resurrection of Jesus and believe it. Trust in it. Don't turn to other things for salvation. Jesus says, receive and believe my words. So abiding in Jesus means not turning to other things to believe and trust in for your salvation. It's almost like Jesus is saying, don't get distracted. Right? Verse 3, Jesus says, you've already been cleansed. So continue to believe and trust in your salvation by grace alone, through faith alone. Abide in that. Now, why would Jesus tell us to do that? Um, and Christians in the room, you might, has anyone ever veered off to try and earn their salvation? Yes. So Jesus says, don't do that. Remain in me. Right? Uh, we're always in danger of falling into two errors when it comes to the gospel, either legalism or licentiousness. Um, Tertullian, uh, the church father, he said, just as Jesus was crucified between two thieves, so the gospel is ever crucified between those two errors. 
Now, legalism is the idea that, well, okay, yeah, Jesus, great, thank you for salvation. Now, I have to live and maintain a holy, good life in order to be saved. I have to believe, right? Belief is still there. I have to believe, but I also have to live right in order for me to be saved. I must earn my salvation. That's that's legalism. And we, as human beings, we so often fall into that ditch where we go, yes, Jesus, thank you for salvation, but now, man, I'm earning it by being really, really, really good. And then when I'm being really bad, then I feel like I've lost my salvation because what you're doing is, is you're saying, Jesus is not enough for your salvation. You're not, you're not abiding in him. You're not remaining in him. And so you're not producing fruit. So that's legalism. And then licentiousness is the opposite. Licentiousness is just loose living. It's saying, yep, thank you, Jesus. I believe in you. Now I can go do whatever I want. So one aspect of abiding, I think Jesus is telling us, is that you have to constantly remind yourself of everything Christ has done for you. Constantly. You must constantly preach the gospel to yourself. Where you go, no, I'm going to look at the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That is my salvation. I must remind myself that's abiding in Jesus. You are receiving and believing everything that Christ has done for you. And it's like Jesus is saying, don't forget. Stay put. Right? Abide in me. Don't wander off into other things. Just stay right here. So receive and believe everything Christ has done for you. Secondly, we receive and we believe the words of Jesus. Verse 7, Jesus says, if my words abide in you. So it's this idea of, yes, we remind ourselves of the gospel every day. Who is Jesus? What has he done? Who am I in light of that? Remain there. And then yet we, we read the words of Jesus, which we talked about last week. Jesus doesn't just mean, oh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's it. I don't have to read anything else. It means the entire revealed word of God. We read that and we receive the words of Jesus. Right? It's like Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You read the word and you meditate on it. You receive the words of Jesus and you, and you, do you know the word meditate actually means like to, to, to chew on? It's like all day you're just kind of, hmm, chewing on the words of Jesus, thinking about them, meditating on them. I'll give you an example from VBS. So uh, my office is right there and, and Gwen was doing the Bible memory uh, with the kids up here, and so I heard the same song for three hours a day for five days. And I was like, I want to put a bullet in my head. Um, but on the last day, I didn't realize what was actually going on. I was just like, pick a different song. But on the last day, there was like 80 kids up here who recited from memory five Bible verses to that tune. Right? Letting the words of Christ. I'm, I'm going to do more than just read it and close it. Okay, I'm going to actually think about it. I'm going to commit it to memory. I'm abiding in the words of Jesus. That's what Jesus says. Abide in my words. And then lastly, what does it mean to abide in Jesus? It means to obey him. Verse 10, Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Now, I hope you see that they all kind of go together, don't they? 
right? Daily, we receive the gospel, not like I'm receiving salvation over again, but daily we remind ourselves about the life, death, resurrection of Jesus. We believe it and we receive it every day. Yes, that is my salvation. I'm remaining there. I'm abiding in that. And then we go to the word and we read the words of Jesus and we abide in them. We, we commit them to memory. We chew on them. We think about them. And then lastly, right, what's the last step? Well, then we just obey them. We obey what Jesus tells us to do. We believe in what he says, that that is the right way to live. I think that's what it means to abide. Right? And it seems almost, well, doesn't it have to be more like mystical than that? No, I think it's very simple, actually. Rehearse the gospel to yourself every day. Stay there. Don't fall into legalism or licentiousness. Read the words of Jesus Think about them, and then obey them. And Jesus says, that's what it means to abide. Now, what is the results of that then? Right? What are the results of us saying, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to daily remind myself of my salvation. I'm going to read the words of Jesus, and I'm going to seek to obey them. What's going to happen in us? Five things. Number one, you will get pruned. I'm starting with the hard one first. If you abide in Jesus, you will get pruned. Verse 2, every branch that bears fruit, so that's what we want to be, right? We want to be Christians who bear fruit. Christians abiding in Jesus and growing in him were promised, if you bear fruit, you'll get pruned. And pruning is painful, and yet it's necessary. It is the necessary removal of things in your life that is prohibiting you from even more growth. Um, John Piper said this, you are being cared for by internal life flowing to you from Jesus, right? You're remaining in him. Think of a vine and branches. You're being cared for by internal life flowing to you from Jesus and by God who with very powerful scissors cuts you and hurts you so that by these painful providences in life, you experience the fullest life possible. And we hear things like that, and I know because, I know you think this because I think this. We go, I don't like that. That doesn't seem fair. God, just kind of leave me alone, right? I don't want, I don't want pruning. I don't want bad things to happen or difficult circumstances because it hurts. And then we, we follow that with, we, then we think that God is mean for doing that to us. So I have a crab apple tree in our backyard, and uh, uh, last year after we got all the, the apples, it was great, lots of apples, uh, I actually pruned the tree. Um, and imagine if the tree could talk, right? Use your imagination. I'm sure it would be like, uh, ow, <laughs> what are you doing, right? Because I'm removing branches, and I'm looking at, okay, well, this branch looks like it's got a bit of, uh, of d- disease on it. This branch had no apples on it, so we're going to get rid of that, and I'm pruning it, and I remember even my wife was like, that's a lot. Like, are you sure? You, you might as well cut the whole tree down, but you, you pruned it all, and I'll tell you, man, uh, the, the, the buds where the apples are going to be, like triple from last year, and yet right? It's painful, I'm sure. That's what we do with God. God comes along and he prunes us because as a good loving father, he says, man, I want you to bear even more fruit. And what do we do? Ah, stop it. I don't like it. Right? And we get mad at 
God the Father for pruning us. And he goes, I just want you to bear more fruit. I mean, pick, pick a circumstance. This is one of the reasons we go through so many hard things. Listen, you would never grow if your life was smooth sailing. I've asked people the question, when is the time that you grew the most with Jesus? Guaranteed. Cancer diagnosis. When I lost my loved one. When we went bankrupt. No one says, I grew the most with Jesus when I was relaxing on a beach in Mexico. That was awesome. It was really, no, you grow through the hard times. That's why God prunes us. Even look at 2 Corinthians 1, Paul says, for we don't want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Anyone? Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But, look what he says, that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Paul says, don't be ignorant, brothers. I mean, we experience more than you can imagine. I, he says, I, I was actually tired of living But it was to teach me to rely on God. I mean, Hebrews 12 talks about God disciplining us like children. If he didn't discipline us, Hebrews 12 says, if you never experience discipline, discipline from God, then you're not his child. This is why this, this whole idea in Christianity that come to Jesus and you'll be healthy and wealthy forever, it's nonsense. If you don't experience discipline, you're not a child of God. I mean, think about, even as parents, we do this, right? I'll, I've shared this example before, but I grew up playing baseball and was getting into more competitive levels, and it was like a traveling team, and you play weekend tournaments, and I mean, I loved it. Baseball was my life, and, and my dad's a, a pastor, and so it became, became harder and harder because all the tournaments are on Sundays, and I, I can remember my dad sat me down and he said, Andrew, you're no longer going to play baseball. Man, I hated my dad. I was like, you're ruining my life. I love baseball. And he said, Andrew, there's more important things than baseball. Your relationship with Jesus and with other believers trumps that. So you won't be playing baseball anymore. Right? So, and I mean, it's a silly example. I wasn't like physically hurt. But man, I was mad. It hurt for my dad to take that part of my life away. But I look back now and I'm like, thank you, dad, for doing that. I mean, we do this, right? As parents, we discipline our kids and sometimes it hurts a lot. And yet we do it. Why? Because we love our kids and we want them to grow. Even um, recently, um, uh, our oldest, our eight-year-old, was invited to a birthday party to go watch a movie, and I can't even remember what the movie was, but we looked it up online, and we just said, you know what, there's stuff in this movie that an eight-year-old doesn't need to see. And so we told her, you won't be going to that birthday party. And she was mad. But what? And, and again, it's just a silly example, because it's not like any real physical pain was caused, but it was like, why are you doing this? And we go, because we love you, and we know what's best for you. Pruning is painful, but what is the result of pruning? You bear much fruit. 
So if you abide in Jesus, if you stay connected to Him, guaranteed God will prune you. And yet you will bear much, much fruit. Secondly, we got to start going here. (laughs) Secondly, you will get whatever you ask for. You're like, wait a second. Verse 7, Jesus says, abide in me and my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. I mean, that sounds pretty great, right? Abide in Jesus. Jesus, I'd like a six-pack, please. I'd like a bigger house. I'd like a better car. Listen, this can't, this verse does not mean what prosperity preachers say that it means. It can't mean that. It cannot mean become a Christian, and if you abide in Jesus, you're going to get a big house and a fancy car and money, money, money. It cannot mean that. Here's why. Someone who abides in Jesus and and lets the word of Christ dwell in them, they won't ask for stupid, selfish things. They will ask for things that glorify Jesus and further his kingdom. So instead of saying, okay, God, I'm abiding in you. Give me more money. They'll say, give me today my daily bread. That's all I need, Jesus. Instead of praying, God, Help me advance further and further and further in my career. They'll say, God, your will on earth as it is in heaven. Abide in Jesus and you will ask for things that Jesus would ask for. That's why Jesus says, ask and I'll give it to you. Why? Because you'll ask things that line up with the will of God. So, for example, when we pray for people who are sick, we can always celebrate that our prayers are answered. Um, Bill Johnson, who's kind of one of the leaders in this whole word of faith prosperity movement, in a recent interview, he said, I never pray God's will be done because that's a lack of faith. Do you catch that? He says, I don't pray for someone who's sick and then say, but God, your will be done because then I don't have enough faith that they're actually going to get better. That's hogwash. This is how we pray. God, I pray that so-and-so would be healed. But more importantly, Jesus, in life or death, I pray that they would honor you and that you would be made much of. Guess what? Your prayer is going to get answered. And I've seen it where God does heal someone and you go, praise the Lord. And I've seen it just recently where someone passes away and yet we go, my prayer was answered for peace and trust and full, complete healing. So when you abide in Jesus, your prayers change. And Jesus says, ask for whatever you want because you're so rooted and abiding in me, you won't ask for selfish things. Thirdly, you will bear much fruit. Verse 2, I don't know if you saw the progression. Verse 2, Jesus says, you'll bear more fruit. And then verse 5, he says, you'll bear much fruit fruit, right? So it's like you're going to bear fruit. You're going to bear even more fruit. You're going to bear much, much fruit. It's like getting more and more and more fruit. One of the outcomes of you abiding in Jesus is that you will bear fruit. It's a promise. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. As you abide in Jesus, you'll look more and more like Him. You'll become more and more fruitful. So abide in Him and you will bear much fruit. Fourthly, As you abide in Jesus, Jesus tells us that God will be glorified, right? Verse 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. 
So you and I, right, if you're a follower of Jesus, you abide in Jesus, you begin to bear fruit, and that brings God glory. And you go, well, why? Why does fruit in my life bring God glory? Do you know why? Because then people are forced to confess that God must be great if He can transform someone like you. (laughs) It's true. Man, I look at my life, and when people look at my life, and I go, man, if you know apart from the grace of God what I would be like, you have to admit that God is good. Because I'm a wreck, right? And so are you, right? And so when, when people see a life and they go, man, how do you have so much love and joy and peace and patience? There must be a God because we know it just can't be just you, right? And God gets much glory in that. And similar to Matthew 5, in the same way, let your light shine before others. Why? So that they may see your good works and give glory to you. No, give glory to your Father who's in heaven, So as you abide in Jesus, God will be glorified. And lastly, you will have fullness of joy. Jesus, he he tells us, I've spoken these things to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full and complete and finished. Abiding in Christ produces fullness of joy. A joy, and, and we talked a lot about it last week, a joy that the world cannot match. It tries to offer it, and it just is such a pale comparison to the full, complete joy that Jesus gives you as you abide in Him. So to think as we close, am I abiding in Jesus? So think about your own life. Do you daily receive and trust in all that Jesus has done for you? And I don't mean just a a formula that every day you wake up and you tell yourself, yes, this is the gospel. I mean just throughout your day, are you constantly thinking about everything that Jesus has done for you? His life, His death, His resurrection on your behalf. That's part of abiding. Do Do you read and study and believe His words? And then do you obey his commands? And then a really good question to ask to know, okay, am I abiding in Jesus? Well, are you bearing fruit? Can you look at your life and go, yes. Man, there's like, there's like three buds on my branch, but there's fruit. I'm bearing fruit. And then to ask God, God, whatever you do, just help me to bear more and more and more fruit as you daily abide in Jesus. So God, I just thank you for such an encouraging passage. Um, Jesus, I, I for years believed that this passage was just another burden that I had to do. Okay, now I'm, I'm responsible. I got to abide in Jesus or else I'm not a believer. And then, and then if I don't abide, then I've lost my salvation and I have to earn something. And, and God, it's so not that. Jesus, you promised us you're already clean. And now abide in me so that God continues to cleanse you and prune you and so that you bear more and more and more fruit. You've given us this passage for our joy, God. Not a burden, but a joy that we would leave having the fullness of joy that comes by just abiding and resting in you. So would you do that work in us, Jesus? We can't artificially manufacture fruit. I mean, we try, 
We try and take a hammer and nail and, you know, nail fruit, and we try and make it appear like it, but we can't. All we need to do is abide in you. Stay where we are, rooted and abiding in you, and you are the one that produces this in us. So would you do that, Jesus? I pray that daily we would remind ourselves and believe and trust in everything that you've done for us, that daily we would read your words and meditate on them and think about them and chew on them, and that daily we would take those words and say, how can I obey them? And that we would begin to see this fruit in our lives. And so thank you, God, that you are such a good vine dresser. Even in your pruning, you are so good. So would you just encourage us and strengthen us for this week to come? And we just pray all of this in your name, Jesus. Amen.